Thank you guys so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today, at the end of the episode, I will play a short story from Twisted Reunion. That story is Reunion. That one's a lot of fun. I completely rewrote that story for this book. Definitely changed a lot, but not really a Christmas story, but it does deal with reuniting with people that you haven't seen in a while. So hopefully you guys will enjoy that one. But first, little rundown of my week. A lot of positive stuff, a lot of really negative stuff. Positive was I actually worked out every day this week. I did yoga every day and worked out every day. George and I have been doing these 30-minute interdimension workouts that have been really tough. This series is called Elements, but definitely different movements, pretty intense, but it's a nice little warm-up before we lift weights. So that has been cool. Today, I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing, but I'll do something. So physically, I've been taking care of myself but that's kind of what's surprising me. Like, even though I was doing that, even though I was working out, all the stress of family stuff, extended family, my immediate family, things are always stressful around the holiday. And yeah, I just have a very hard time with it. I actually posted a video yesterday in or two days ago in a concussion group that I'm in with Rico, where he's one of the mo moderators. He was on here a couple months ago. But I posted about just a little incident I was not proud of where I flipped out on my wife right before the kids are going to school. They heard it all. I was very upset with her and I couldn't hold it in and I was yelling and screaming and being cold and mean and angry. And in the video I left, I talked about how, you know, I had, it took me almost an entire day to figure out what was going on and then see how much of it was my fault and how my reaction was just fucking terrible. So that night, you know, I apologized. I'd already apologized to my wife through emails and stuff like that, but in a person, but again, I apologized to each of my kids. I explained to my son, like that was a terrible example of what a man should be. What I did by screaming, by yelling, by trying to, use my body, my, my presence as an intimidating factor to, you know, get my point across or whatever else. It's like, that's all the shit that I hate about people in general, but that's a typical man response. So it was a great conversation with him being able to tell him, you know, I, I hope that, that he never looks up to me for doing that, for raising my voice for, you know, it was just, it wasn't a good example. And then again, with my daughter, like, I don't want my daughter ending up with someone or being friends with people that have those characteristics thinking that it's a good thing. And just to assure them that, you know, hey, <clears throat> that wasn't okay. I need to work better on never getting to that point and that they don't deserve to be treated that way. So it was an awesome learning experience. It, it was shitty and I regret lots of things I said and how I did it. But coming back and apologizing in the video I made for the CTE group, one of the things I made a point of was not using the TBI or possible CTE as an excuse. It's like, no, I was like, I, I acted shitty. I, I did not act the way I wanted to. So it doesn't matter why or if TBIs or CTE or if anything contributed, whatever. It could have been, that's just a trigger and I fucking reacted poorly and I still haven't you know, corrected that behavior. So it doesn't matter. Like why, why say it's because, oh, well, you guys know I can't control myself. No, no. It's like, hey, what I did doesn't matter why I did it. What I did was wrong. So that was one of the things. Like, and there was some other shit. So very hard to create when, uh, when you're fuming and want to fucking punch a hole in the wall and you're angry at yourself. So, and then on top of that, I already hadn't been posting on social media. There were probably things posted to my social media account 
professional looking videos. Whenever there's a professional looking video, like if my podcast has been chopped up nicely and everything looks good, that wasn't me that posted. That was my friend Alvin, who is awesome. Alvin, thank you so much. So he probably posted some stuff while I was gone, but I wasn't touching social media. I wasn't turning it on. I wasn't looking at it. I wasn't posting. I definitely wasn't making videos for TikTok and shit like that. So yesterday morning was the first time I got back onto that. And I actually posted about that in my dark and disturbing fear-filled fiction group. Letting them know, like, hey, when I'm gone, it's could be a combination of a lot of things. One was the stress of the holidays. I just shut down when I'm too stressed. Another was, you know, when I spend time with the family. I've been doing a lot of that. That's been great. And then there's also the fear of failure. And I was also so busy of just creating and editing. Did a lot of work on the Wild West. I got that back from the editor. So I'm making those final changes. I should probably be done by Christmas. And then I'll just give it to John for a quick read-through. And then we'll finally get it on Bella. And then we will put it out on ebook, paperback, all that good stuff. Um, so excited about that. Excited about trying to dive back at Grandma's house. That is going to be coming out very soon. Yesterday was really cool because I was like, well, it's holiday. I want to take a break from Wild West because I've been waking up at like 4.30 in the morning working on, that's when I, I would get maybe an hour, two hours, two and a half hours of work in it. So that's on Wild West and stuff like that. But I wanted to be creative. So it's like, okay, what could I work on? What could I work on? I have so many projects, but I've been thinking about the board game. I really need to work on that. I was trying to, I was like, ah, I don't like how grandma's house works into the board game. And maybe I could do a different game and fuck, then I have to start over. And so there was a lot of that going on yesterday. Uh, and then I picked on, I was like, well, Man, I really have been pushing my daughter to write a short story at the very least. We're supposed to be working on books together, but she's got so much going on. She doesn't have that confidence yet. We did plot out the book that's tattooed on my back. We plotted out trying to die in 25 perfect days, which would be awesome. But without me pushing her, she's going to lose that intensity or she's going to lose the desire to continue. But I was like, over break. That'd be really awesome to develop another short story because that is fun. So for me, just creating something with someone, that is a lot of fun. If she and I spend two hours today just coming up with ideas, thinking about stuff, creating this book on our head, even if it never comes to light, that was a fun two hours that I just hung out with her and we used our imagination to just come up with some really cool stuff the only problem is we can't do it around her brother because her brother does not like me talking about death the big idea for Liv's story and she said she thinks she would like to turn into a full trying to die book because it could either be i told her we could either make this into a shorter trying to die story which is only about maybe ten thousand words with five thousand death scenes or it could be like two and a half times bigger with a regular try not to die Full length, not full length book, but these books are about 45,000. Duncan's is longer. I think Sage was longer than that too. But anyhow, she thought that she'd like to do a full book. And I said, that's awesome because I 100% think it could be. She'd been wanting to do something circus related. This circus is going to be fucked up. It's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the imagery I'm going to have to credit Duncan Ralston for. He's got some really cool clowns, some different things in his ghost land, which I've been devouring. I've been rereading. I've been going through that. That's the next project that I have to get through as soon as I'm doing all this stuff and Wild West and back at Grandma's house are finished. Then it's all Duncan's project, but I am giving myself a couple of days with this. He would be hundred percent all for it. 
we've talked, neither one of us is in a huge rush. We both have a lot of shit going on. And then I add more shit like this. But for me, this one is going to satisfy that creative urge I need, plus give me something super cool to do with my daughter. And if it ever comes out to be a full book, it is going to kick ass. So yeah, yesterday, all these scenes came to me. I think my daughter was pretty impressed because I was trying not to work on it. I was trying to work on other stuff, but every like 15, 20 minutes, I go back to her. I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? I, this is what I saw. This is going to be really cool. They could die here. They could die there. This is where they get picked up. I think it's this. I think it's that. What do you think of this? And so, and I was also very, and I kept telling her, say, hey, I don't want to hijack this story. If you want to write it on your own, you know, I'll let it be and you can have it. I'll just shut the hell up. But if you want to do it together, then I'm going to go nuts right now because <clears throat> I'm really liking this story. I think it's going to be really cool. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. I will keep you guys posted and let you know if it's ever going to come out or ever created. But I have a feeling that one is going to make it. I've already, not because of what I did yesterday, but just the, just the intensity. It could definitely be exciting anytime a new, there's a new idea, whether it's a short story or whatever, and just getting that going and creating something out of nothing. But this one seems even cooler. So I'm sticking with it. So that's probably about it on the writing front. That's what I've been working on. But yeah, the covers for trying to die back at grandma's house for the Kindle version and for the Wild West, those are all ready to go. So it's just a matter of getting it, the main story, completely fine-tuned, putting it out there and letting you guys have fun trying not to die. Something cool for Christmas. Got a really cool email from Spotify or from Find Away Voices about Spotify. All my audiobooks are on Spotify, and now I can give out 100 free copies. So all these copies are downloaded through Authors Direct, and but you can get your Spotify audiobook for free. If you would like one of those, hit me up. Let me know which of my audiobooks on Spotify you would enjoy listening to. Send me a message, send me an email, and I will send you the code. I'm also planning on putting on a very large contest where each of the first thousand entrants can choose what audiobook they would like. And there will also be some really cool prizes. But that one's going to be aimed at audiobook listeners. So if you enjoy audiobooks, I got all kinds. Got nonfiction about fighting, traumatic brain injuries. Then we got horror, sci-fi, suspense, all that fun stuff. Speaking of audiobooks, as soon as Trying to Die Back at Grandma's House is finished, I am going to go record it at someone's studio that I met when I did a signing in Long Beach at the comic book store. This lady was awesome, has her own recording studio. She's going to make it super cool. Probably also do a guitar lesson for my daughter in between. But I was thinking, why not have my daughter come with me? She could voice two of the women characters. There's a young female and a little bit of older woman. I don't know if she'll be able to nail the older woman's voice. Not older, older. I think she's only like 22. But we shall see. Because multi-casts are pretty cool. I haven't tried doing it in a Try Not to Die format, but could be fun. And anything I could do with my kids, bringing them into the creation process, that's pretty cool. I don't think my son really cares. I don't know how much he will. He's more of engineer mind. He wants to play video games. He's trying to figure shit out, like calculations and into math and all that. And I was probably into a lot of that when I was young. But my daughter is definitely very artistic. She loves playing music. She loves singing. She loves writing, reading, all that good stuff. So I think there's definitely something there. And I was like, man, if I was a kid, I would have loved it if my parents were like, hey, want to write a book? I'm like, Fuck yeah, I do. So, but 
that's just me. And maybe back then I wouldn't have, I would be like, ah, it's for nerds. I don't want to be a nerd. That's probably what I would have said. But now that I'm an author, I want to put out as much as I can. And again, this next year is going to be awesome. Now, on to free stuff to read. Ain't No Messiah. That is free this week. So from today, 23rd to, through the 27th, that book is free. Ain't No Messiah. Check it out. I'm a little bit scared because I usually don't advertise it. And when I do, I never know what to advertise it as because it's kind of like psychological thriller, kind of suspense, but it's not very fast moving. There's some violent stuff. Maybe some people say it's like psychological horror, but this is the first time I put it out as religious fiction. So I might get a lot of haters or maybe a lot of people that appreciate it. I don't know. I'm not sure. What, I guess I should look deeper into what religious fiction entails, but that's what I'm putting it out as. We shall see what the response is. If the if the rating goes down like crazy, we'll know it was not the right choice and that I need to better market it. So the German version of Twist Reunion, that translation is doing well. I'm selling multiple copies a day. Before I hadn't been doing that in Germany, it'd be like, well, maybe like one or two copies a day. Now it's definitely like more five to six. And so it is picking up speed. The little ads that I'm having are paying for themselves. So that's cool. Now I just have to pick it up after this uh, after the free days are through i will pick up the intensity of those ads throw out a couple other ones and really start to grow my german audience totentanz is also free for christmas so if you live in germany and want to check it out it is free on kindle all right guys i think i've talked enough it is friday morning shit just about to be six o'clock so that's still pretty early still kind of waking up i'm gonna have to edit this real quick upload it write a newsletter send that shit out and then i got the rest of the day to get high or i shouldn't say it like that that seems unprofessional i shall use some cannabis that will help my creativity and be a better father and be calmer cooler and fucking less of a fucking stressed out rage monster which i'm not but that's a nice thing too when i do talk about you know i lose my temper or everything else it's really been since I made another video about it, which was probably two or three months ago. So it's not like I have these outbursts all the time. I don't want to give people the wrong idea. Usually I'm at home fucking around, dancing around the house, listening to German music, doing my shit, staying calm, creating, playing with cats. Fucking I always have cats on me. Leo definitely is nice and calming. Usually have him on me. So I'm not this huge rage monster that you have to be afraid of. I just like to share it because that is something I have to deal with. A lot of people that have TBIs or CT or just fucking men that have never dealt with their emotions. Yeah, that's there too. And it's actually funny because my son, we were just talking to him. We got him a new book on a couple books on anxiety and stress and in recognizing your feelings because i forgot at this age you know that you don't have the words they don't know what they're really feeling yet but he was getting overwhelmed yesterday he's like i can't talk about my emotions i just you know i can't do it i just can't do it and i respect that and as i was like dude i said you know what your dad does on his podcast and videos all the time i'm like dude i was like i'm dissecting my emotions i'm looking at my emotions i was like and my wife did a great job of pointing out that that is not something that i learned you know in childhood that's not something i was ever doing before that's not something i was even doing when i first met her that's something that's just 
you know, I've done more and more in the last couple of years. I think it's interesting. I do want to improve myself. And the only way we could do that is by figuring, like taking an honest look and just instead of being like, no, fuck it, I'm angry. That's just who I am. Eh, I don't want to be that person. So if I don't want to be that person, then I got to fucking change it because no one else is going to. Sorry for all the F words. Maybe I should change that as well. Or not. But anyhow, I'm going to leave you guys. I, if you do celebrate Christmas, I hope you guys enjoy it. Celebrate something else. I hope you enjoy that just as much. If you don't celebrate shit, I hope you enjoy not celebrating shit. I really don't care. Like I, I shouldn't say like that. I do care that you have a great day, a great time, great holiday season. It doesn't matter what you celebrate or what you believe in, though. So, all right, guys, that's enough preaching from me. I am taking off. I will see you next weekend right before the new year. All right, guys, have an incredible week, and I will talk to you later. Peace. Reunion. Derek sensed the moment was right leaned in for a kiss, hating himself as he did it. Beth wasn't ugly. She didn't stink if you disregarded the cheap wine. But he had no desire to kiss her. He just needed her to stay. For that, he needed her to feel wanted. It was already after eleven and way too late to find a replacement. Beth welcomed his advance. Derek matched her intensity and pressed himself against her as passionately as he could feign, tried to ignore her fat tongue jabbing in his mouth. Finally, Derek backed off from the kiss and grinned. Wow, I wanted to do that all night. Sorry if it was too much. She ran her fingers through her bleached blonde hair, her cheeks flushed. Are you kidding? That was perfect. She tugged down her shirt to hide the little roll of her tummy. Just like old times. Derek looked around his mother's outdated living room. He said, Ten years. Feels like nothing's changed. They were sitting on the same couch where he and Beth had had their first heavy petting session when they were juniors in high school. None of the old furniture had been upgraded. None of the pieces had moved since he was a kid. The pictures on the mantel and walls were untouched. A lot of things had changed in ten years, but not this house. His mother seemed stuck in the past, refusing to change anything, especially Ronnie's room. His brother's room was precisely as it had been on the day he disappeared. Nothing had been moved, not even the poster of a half-naked Cindy Crawford above the bed, the one their mother had said made the place look like some nasty frat house. The most significant thing that had changed in this room was Beth, the girl Derek needed to convince to stay the night. She was a little heavier, but so was he. She was still bone-white, and her years of partying were peeking out from behind the layers of makeup. She'd lost some of her shitty attitude, the insecurity. She had matured. Beth cleared her throat, interrupting his thoughts. This isn't your first time back, is it? Derek shook his head. I come back once a year to house-sit when Mom visits her sister in Philly. I'd rather not do it, but she refuses to let a stranger stay here. She won't go otherwise. What about your dad? He split a year after Ronnie. 
You see him at all? Derek shook his head. The coward didn't even leave a note. Beth rubbed his arm and said, I'm so sorry. It's fine, he said. It's just not something we talk about. Mom wanted me to keep it quiet. Wait a minute. Beth pulled away a little. You've been back every year, and now, out of the blue, you decide to call me? If Derek hadn't been expecting the question, he might have answered honestly. He might have told her that she wasn't his first choice, but all of his other old girlfriends were gone. He'd run through each one on nights just like this. It's... It, it's hard to explain. He pretended to be embarrassed, took a quick swig of the wine he'd picked up at 7-Eleven. It's just that with you, I was always afraid to call. I thought about you all the time, but I was so sure you would laugh at me and tell me to get a life. I know it sounds corny, but even though I never called you, I always had the dream of you sitting right here. He ran his fingers over her thigh. Oh, she said in her whiny little voice that still irritated the hell out of him. Another thing that hadn't changed. That's so sweet. You shouldn't have worried, though. I'm thrilled you called. She slid up against him for a smothering hug. I couldn't wait to come over. He was grateful. It wasn't like he could tell any of his old friends the real reason he wanted their company. If he told anyone why he needed them to stay, he knew they'd laugh. He was 27 years old. Way too old to be afraid of a house. Of a room. Of Ronnie's room. The thought sent shivers up his spine. Beth mistook the spasm for one of pleasure. Oh, you like that, huh? She ran her fingertips across the nape of his neck. Thought I didn't remember? Derek had never liked it. In fact, he hated it. But he couldn't tell her that. Even though she was dressed sort of sleazy, in a good way, this was by no means a sealed deal. Now was not the time to speak his mind. Instead, he snuggled closer. Just a sec, Beth said as she turned to the oversized purse that had yet to leave her sight. She took out her phone and swiped it on. You expecting a call? I'm afraid the service in this house is terrible. I've got one bar, but I was just checking the time. It's almost 11.30. It's getting kind of late. Derek's heart almost stopped. His mind raced as he tried to think of a way to convince her to stay. He'd shed tears if he had to but he hoped it wouldn't come to that. Maybe he had misjudged her. Maybe she had developed some morals over the last decade. Maybe she was still sore over the way he had dumped her the week before prom. Before Derek could come up with anything to say, Beth said, You wouldn't mind if I took a quick shower, would you? I had a long day, and I came over right after work. Of course not. Do you have somewhere to go? Beth slipped the phone into her purse and played with her hair. I was hoping your bedroom, but if you don't want me, I can go home. No, no, he said. I just didn't think that you would. We're both adults, right? And I figured that's why you called. It is, isn't it? He hesitated briefly. Yeah, I mean, sort of. But I guess I didn't think you would really want to. Are you kidding? That was the best thing about us. I mean, you were always kind of... Don't take this the wrong way. A little weird, but you were amazing in bed. Oh, really? Yeah, and I also know even though you would never admit it to anyone, 
It must be real hard for you to be here. All those memories. Look, I don't want to ruin the mood, but you never did find out what happened to your brother, did you? Derek shook his head, wished the conversation hadn't taken this turn. He finished his wine and set the empty glass on the coffee table. Ronnie didn't run away like people think. He just disappeared. There was no forced entry, but I know he would never let anybody in the house. You were home, huh? We all were. We didn't hear a thing. It was something with that room. As he said it, he wondered just how much he should be admitting to. You don't believe that. I do. Beth laughed, which made him feel small and angry. He was a kid, she said. I remember he used to say there was something under his bed, but you never believed him. Please tell me you don't know. Derek forced a smile. Of, of course not. It was a joke. He pulled her by the waist, his thumbs lightly pressing on her tummy, knowing it made her self-conscious. We have to sleep in his room, and I guess I wanted to freak you out a little so you'd get that much closer. Very funny. No, seriously. It's either in there or on this couch. Mom locks her room whenever she's gone, and mine was turned into a study nine years ago. He told the lie easily, knowing his mother hadn't changed anything in his room either. She never stepped foot in it. Really? I didn't know. Derek leaned in and whispered, I'll protect you. Beth laughed, because his breath was tickling her. <laughs> well, if you don't have a problem being in there, then I definitely don't. She ran her finger down his chest. We'll need more room than this couch. That settles it. Derek got up and filled Beth's wine glass, told her to relax. Just give me a minute to clean up. I'll get the water nice and warm for you. Beth said, You're so sweet. But it sounded fake, sort of like she was making fun of him. Derek didn't care. He hurried to the hallway. He was hit with the smell of red roses that sat on the console table beside the door of his old room. Then there was the second vase on the bathroom counter but there was another smell underneath the aroma of roses. Derek turned on the shower and covered the room with orange-scented air freshener. The bathtub was clean enough, but there was a filthy rag and toothbrush inside the wastebasket. Derek tore off several streams of toilet paper and tossed them on top of it. The mirror was starting to steam up. He went back and told Beth the shower was ready, that he'd wait for her in the bedroom. Beth grabbed her purse and disappeared down the hallway. Derek refilled Beth's wine glass, wondered how much she could drink. This was going to run a lot smoother than he had hoped. Derek turned off the lights. The bathroom door was closed, slivers of lights outlining the frame. As a matter of habit, Derek moved to his left and made sure his bedroom door was locked. He arranged the roses and walked to the opposite end of the hall, snuck a quick glance into his mother's room just to make sure it was empty. Locked it so he didn't look like a liar. Derek paused outside of Ronnie's door, his hand frozen over the knob. Derek told himself to hurry up and get inside the room. What would Beth say if she came out of the bedroom and saw him standing there like a scared little boy? There was nothing in that room that would harm him. Sure, the memories hurt. But he'd slept in that room one night a year for ten years, and he'd awakened just fine. Tonight would be no different.
he turned the knob and pushed open the door. The room was pitch black. Derek felt along the wall and flicked the switch. The overhead light didn't come on. His mother had asked him to change the bulbs, not knowing all she needed to do was screw them in more tightly. The dim light from the hallway barely penetrated the inky blackness. Derek waited for his eyes to adjust. He saw the outline of Ronnie's bed, the one his brother swore had a monster under it. No one ever believed Ronnie. His mother didn't. Derek didn't. Then Ronnie was gone. Derek set Beth's drink on the nightstand, mixed in a little powder from the plastic baggie to help her relax. He turned the table lamp to its lowest setting and looked around the room. Although his mother hadn't changed a single object since the night Ronnie disappeared, she'd cleaned it every week. Ten years of vacuuming and dusting had left this room feeling like a movie set. The lamplight reflected off the trophy-filled bookcase. Less than a year before he vanished, Ronnie had led the baseball team to the state finals. Every player got a championship ring, which was the only thing missing from the room. The ring couldn't have cost more than $10 to make, but it was priceless to Ronnie. Derek smiled, remembering how Ronnie polished the fake ruby every morning. He refused to take it off, even in the bath. Derek felt tears forming, slapped himself to make him stop. He had to man up before Beth came back. He had to check under the bed for the monster. Keeping an eye on the dust ruffle that skimmed the wooden floor, Derek untied his shoes and slipped them off. The shower stopped and he walked over to the doorway, his feet sliding along the hardwood, barely making a sound. Derek called Beth's name and she asked what he wanted. Your wine's next to the bed. Make yourself comfortable. I've got to grab something from outside real quick. Sure thing. I'll be out in a minute. Before he chickened out, Derek knelt down beside the bed and raised the dust ruffle. There was nothing underneath. Derek rubbed his face against the inside of the ruffle and inhaled deeply, the mustiness taking him back all those years. The bathroom door opened, and Derek slid under the bed made sure his entire body was hidden. It was too dark to see anything, but he could feel he was directly lined up with the middle of the mattress. Beth's feet slapped off the wooden hallway. He was going to scare the hell out of her, make her sorry for ever teasing him. Derek ran his thumb across the beam directly above his head. He felt the nine razor-thin nicks carved in it. The beam above his chest had dozens more. The footsteps stopped at the doorway. Beth said, Derek, you back? Derek felt further along the beam until it touched the leather mask folded on top of it. He rubbed the mask on his cheek, slipped it over his head. He carefully gripped the razor blade that had been beside it. She called Derek's name once more, but he didn't answer. He took the razor and ran it across the wood next to last year's cut. Jasmine. When Beth walked over to the bed, Derek quietly eased the blade back where it belonged. Beth sat down, her stumbly ankles not far from his shoes. Derek rolled onto his side, his shoulder pressed into the beam. He could grab both her legs and send her screaming, 
but that'd be pointless. He needed her. She had to tell him he wasn't a monster. Ronnie was wrong. Derek rolled onto his back when Beth brought both feet up and moved toward the middle of the bed, bringing the beams a little bit lower. He ran his thumb across the ten little lines, and his mind returned to the night before they had existed. Ronnie had been acting a little weird all that day, had called Derek back to his room, had said that he wanted to show him something. It was ten o'clock. Dad was blacked out on the couch. Mom dazed in front of the blaring television. Derek stopped in front of the doorway, asked Ronnie what was happening. Ronnie stood at the dresser, kept his back to Derek and the bed. I got something to show you. Ronnie sounded strange, almost like slow motion. Want to see it? Derek was suddenly afraid to say yes. What is it? Ronnie turned around nearly as slowly as he talked, kept a hand on the dresser to hold himself up. He opened his left hand, revealed the orange pill bottle. What are you doing with those? Are those moms? It took Ronnie a few seconds to swallow. He nodded yes. Ronnie, did you take any? The bed creaked, and Beth shouted Derek's name, yanked him out of the memory. Where are you? She was getting too antsy too soon. Maybe she knew Ronnie had been right. Derek brought his hand to the beam with the scratches, all the nights he'd spent under the bed. He ran his finger across the top of the beam until he touched the bottle of nasal spray that was wedged there. Come on, man, she said under her breath. The bed shifted to the right the wine glass clicking on the table. I tell him I want him to fuck and he goes and does chores, she said to herself. Derek brought the fentanyl spray under his nose, the scent intoxicating. With his other hand, he undid his belt buckle. Ew, Beth said, the glass clinking on the table and the bed shifted. Beth's weight directly above him, the wooden beams low enough to lick. There was no way to know how much of the wine she'd had. Maybe he'd added too much of the powder. Derek prepared to slip out from the left side of the bed in case Beth ran. She didn't move, so Derek waited, his mind flying back to ten years ago. Ronnie was swaying at the dresser, the orange bottle in his hand. Derek had hoped Ronnie was acting, just trying to get attention. Did you... He trailed off. How many? Ronnie tossed the bottle and it bounced under the bed. She hadn't opened it. Derek dove under the mattress, shook the empty bottle, read the label. Thirty pills. Ronnie collapsed, his face smushed into the floor, a foot from Derek. Talking through half his mouth, he said, I know it was you. You're the monster. The bed creaked to the right, ripped Derek back to reality. The lamp clicked to the high setting, lighting the other side of the ruffle. Last chance, Derek. I'm not waiting all night. She sounded a little scared, but not at all sleepy. If Beth had drunk the whole glass, she'd be passed out. The house sat on fifteen acres and was surrounded by trees. 
Derek wasn't worried about Beth's screams. He rubbed the tip of the inhaler along the bottom of his nose. He stroked himself and let out the softest, Mmm. Derek? Is that you? It sounded like she clicked open her purse. Derek had to assume she pulled out her phone. Playtime was over. It was time to ask Beth the same thing he'd asked his father, all the girls that had spent the night. But first, Derek pulled the lamp's plug, cast the room into darkness. Beth screamed, and Derek slipped out from beneath the bed. She was backed against the headboard, hands out in front of her. Derek reached out for her face and readied the spray. He asked, Am I a monster? Beth roared as a stream of liquid hit Derek's chest, neck, the bottom of his mask. He raised his hand to block his eyes, but the stream kept coming, splashing off his forearm, getting in his mouth. Everything burned at once, his lips, his mouth, his eyes all stinging, snot pouring from his nose. Derek ripped off the mask, screamed when the pepper spray nailed him in both eyes. Derek grabbed where Beth had last been. He couldn't breathe. From out of nowhere, Beth slammed into his chest, sent him reeling into the bookcase. Trophies toppled onto his head and shoulders. Derek dropped to his knees. Beth was still in the room, but he couldn't tell where, so he just lunged forward and threw out his arms, his hands slapping off her leg. She screamed and kicked, her foot crunching his fingers, knocking the fentanyl across the room. Derek forced his eyes halfway open, saw Beth scramble to her feet and make it to the door. He couldn't let her escape. Beth was coughing in the hallway, and it sounded like she'd bumped into the wall. Derek got to his feet, forced one eye open, blew strings of snot down his lips and chin. A doorknob rattled. Derek saw Beth, her right hand feeling for the living room doorway. Derek said, You can't leave. Beth screamed ran full speed past the living room, toward Derek's old room, the vase of roses smashing on the floor. Derek ran after her. No, the monster! The monster's in there! The cheap lock did nothing. Beth stumbled into the room, the door bouncing closed behind her. There was a huge clatter, then a crash, Beth grunting like she'd been punched in the gut. Derek pushed the door open, flicked on the light. Jasmine's still damp bones were scattered all over the floor, no longer laid out where Derek could easily assemble her. He'd spent all day digging her out of the backyard and scrubbing her clean. But that wasn't why Derek stood frozen. He was afraid to make a move for Beth, who had crashed on the bed. Her shoulder buried in his father's ribs, her face pressed into the moldy mess on the sheets. Derek shrieked, Get off him! Beth pushed with her free hand, screaming when she saw what she was inside. Her arm ripped out of the bones, cracking a few. The sternum splintered and landed next to Ronnie's skeleton on the recliner, his ruby-red ring pointing right at her. Stop! Stop! Derek pled, not sure if the tears were real or from the pepper spray. Through half-opened eyes, he sidestepped between Elise and Paula, who sat cross-legged, their skeletons taped to stakes driven through the floorboard. Beth batted at her blouse inside of her face. She looked for an escape. Ronnie and the Circle of Seven, all forever facing the bed, keeping the monster on top of it. Help! 
Help! He has to be on the bed. Beth stopped at the panic in his voice. She closed her eyes and pushed the father's skull. It popped off the bed. Derek wailed, a sound he'd heard but never made. You can't! Beth's voice trembled with fear. She begged him to let her go. She saw what he was going to do, dove to stop her, but was too slow. Beth kicked down on his father's hips, knocked his lower half off the bed. It crashed down in front of Derek, the brittle bones crumbling on the hardwood. The monster was no more. Beth backed off the other side of the bed and ripped off Ronnie's arm, sent the rest of him to the floor. She held his arm like a club, swore she'd fucking kill Derek if he took another step. It was time to start acting like the man of the house. Derek laughed at Beth and pointed at the pile of dust and bits of bone by his feet. You can't hurt me. Beth took a step toward the doorway, the bone held high, aimed at Derek's head. I'll kill you. Derek lunged and Beth swung. The round end of Ronnie's arm clipped the side of Derek's skull, shattering both. Derek lost all feeling and smashed onto the floor. A pool of red spread out before him, the edge flowing farther and farther from his face 